Good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church Sunday morning gathering. Uh, I hope that you feel the same way I do in thinking that this is a joy and an honor to be here today. I hope that um, on the days that it feels like obligation that you pray to the Lord and He gives you the right heart and the right attitude about uh, the opportunity that we have to worship together. I am so thankful for this opportunity to be preaching the Word of God, to be your pastor. Uh, as I was preparing last week's sermon and I was preparing this week's sermon, um, I was overwhelmed multiple times with joy in my heart. Uh, when, I thought of, when I thought of you and when I thought about how Although ministry is difficult, when I thought about how much easier it is to serve the Lord in the capacity that I and Blake and Stephen do, um, knowing that you guys are there and supportive and helpful and obedient to the Lord, uh, it makes it such a joy. It makes it easy to fulfill one of these Request that Peter makes and to not serve under compulsion when you have a church that loves and serves the Lord. And so I'm so thankful for that. I see it as a blessing because I know um, there are many people that I know and love that serve in the same capacity that I do, and they do not have, um, they are not always in the most supportive opportunities from their congregation. So I'm so thankful for that. I've been thanking and praising the Lord for that throughout this week and last week. Would you pray with me? Um, and let's just entreat the Lord to um, speak to us, to open our hearts, to hear his word today and be changed by it. Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunity to serve and worship you in a country that still allows it, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to have passion and motivation that even if it weren't allowed and even if it were illegal, that we would still have the same willingness to come and serve and follow you and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength today to focus and pay attention so that we can hear your word so that we can understand it clearly and that we may apply it to our life. Lord, help the dominating theme of today be um, that as elders, as leaders of the church or even aspiring elders, that we see Christ as the chief example of what an elder, what a leader of a church looks like. Not someone who is domineering, not someone who is doing things under compulsion, but one who is self-sacrificing, who gives their life in a willing way, in an eager way, for the sake of the church. Lord, thank you for that ultimate gift of your life. Thank you for the power in your resurrection that gives us all eternal life. Lord, help us to repent and believe the gospel to trust you in a way that is honoring, but in a way that changes our lives, in a way that impacts others. Thank you for your word. Your word is true, and so we believe it. We see it as sufficient for our lives, 
And we trust that if we obey you and we follow you, Lord, that the outcome and the result will be yours. We give you those results. We give you those outcomes of our life. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We can never repay you, so we give our life as an offering to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you remember last week, we began to look into, we began to look into God's chosen men for the leaders of the church. We call those elders at our church, which I believe is the most biblical and accurate name for those leaders. There are many names that are used in the Greek for overseers and leaders of the church, but what we find and what most scholars have concluded is that all of those names mean pastor, mean elder, mean overseer of the church. They are God's under-shepherds. They are the ones that have been given the charge of watching over what is the Lord's and protecting it until <coughs> his return. <coughs> now, we learned last week that if, if anyone aspires for the position of elder and is qualified, then he can be appointed as an elder. If they remain qualified and people begin to follow them and they preach the gospel, they teach and they correct and they rebuke the flock in humility, they can remain as an elder. More simply put, do you know how I know that Blake and Stephen and I are supposed to be your, your elders? I know it very clearly and objectively. Here's how I know. Because we all feel the desire to do it. We are all actively meeting, not perfectly, but actively meeting the qualifications of an elder, and you are sitting here today. Those are the three reasons, objectively, that I know that we are called to be the elders over you, over this church, because we all feel the desire to do it. If any one of you has a desire, we are all meeting the qualifications, then meet these qualifications actively, not perfectly, and you are sitting here. There is a congregation to lead. There are sheep to shepherd. And because of that, I'm going to keep preaching and teaching as such. And you should keep following as such. Friends, the world is in chaos. But the church is and should be a place of refuge and peace. And that peace is accomplished in large part because of leadership that submits its will and itself to the Lord, therefore leading by example to a church that submits its will and itself unto the Lord. And in a world of chaos, the church is a lighthouse of rest and refuge and peace. It's not always the case, though. We have seen what happens when the uncalled and the unqualified take lead in churches. Churches run from sound theology. They run to capture the heart of the world, often with something else other than the gospel and other than truth. And they even sacrifice truth at times on the altar of sin. Things like confirming this gender insanity or degenerate sexual agendas. Or maybe it's not even addressing more common forms of immorality as well as rewriting the agenda and the purpose of the church. There are many more ways this abandonment of truth happens, but I believe what I've mentioned are, are really the most common. They're the ones that are the most obvious. 
And we will for sure throughout our studies of the scripture go into more of those ways that the church often abandons her post. We learned last week that elders are responsible in many ways, in many ways for those under their care. And they should not be hasty to pursue church leadership because they will be the first and the most scrutinized of all Christians judged. There are some important qualities that each elder must hold. And Peter discusses a few of those in our text today, and he uses a comparison. He uses a this for that comparison. Don't be this, don't be that. Don't be this, be that. So let's read 1 Peter 5, 1-4 again today and see what Peter says about the qualities of those who lead the church, the qualities of elders. I'm going to read verses 1-4 through again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. One commentator I read said this about elders. The best elders of the church have a growing humility towards those they lead and a bold resistance towards evil. Jesus, when sending out the disciples, charged them with these words. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The responsibility and the burden of elders of the church is great. There is this great balance for a need to be humble, but a need to be bold and sort of wild in the way you proclaim the things of the Lord. There is this constant need then to set an example for all Christians to grow in humility but to also be bold in your resistance of evil. The burden to teach the flock has fallen on the elders and have, that have been appointed by God to the local body. Now, while I'm not always the most humble person, I don't mind being confused as arrogant when it comes to defending the truth, when it comes to calling out evil. I know that sometimes my confidence, and sometimes I'm arrogant, no doubt, but sometimes my confidence gets misconstrued as arrogance. And I'm okay with that happening if I am defending the truth and calling out evil. You must understand that the role of an elder is difficult because he must maintain humility and at the same time be confident, make confident assertions about the truth and about what is wrong. There are different ways to handle objections to Christianity and observed wrongs. There are times when quiet reflection and gentle words might do when it comes to resisting these evils. This is like sharing the gospel or, or dealing with certain sins. We don't have to get sort of our microphone out. We don't have to get our amplification device out and say, so-and-so has been sinning in their personal life. There are times where an elder, when he calls out sin, he, sa he, he gently just goes to the person and, 
and he takes care of the issue behind the backs and not in a sort of deceitful way, behind the backs of the congregation. Sharing the gospel is another way to point out evil without being uh, in sort of this verbose and bold proclaimer. There are other times where a more stern disposition is needed. When correcting repeated sins or when speaking on a subject that affects a wide range of people or a wider range of people, often you need to hear a strong and stern voice from your leaders. So often you will hear me speak with passion or vigor, and you may even hear me, uh, I don't know, maybe sometimes, may even hear me be loud or, or straight to the point. Now I know that you think I'm loud, but you have to understand that right now is just one tone or one uh, inflection above my normal voice. So whereas you might not be loud, this is, just, this is just me speaking just above my conversation voice. When I was a child, I told my mother that I was going to be a football coach because they got to yell at everyone and no one got mad at them for yelling. And here I am, basically the same thing, without all the cussing. A shepherd must take the necessary steps to recover the flock, to, to, to shepherd the flock, to warn against evil. But this is not with arrogance. This is with urgency. So if you hear me become louder, it's because I think the message and the task at hand is urgent. You must understand, friends, that as sheep, danger lurks around every corner, and it is the responsibility of the under-shepherd to inform, to warn, and to instruct the sheep of the dangers ahead. And to do so appropriately, it often takes a little bit of abrasive behavior, and I'm okay with that. Then there are times when the shepherd must go in for the kill. There's times where the shepherd gently corrects, he more sternly corrects, and there are times that the shepherd must go in for the kill. If a lion is in the flock, if a wolf is in the flock, a shepherd doesn't say, I'm sure your intentions are well, Mr. Wolf, but you're going to have to leave the flock now. You're, you're going to have to come with me and I'll, I'll escort you this way. No, that's not what happens. If a wolf is amongst the flock, the shepherd kills. There are times where the shepherd must go for a kill. You will see, you will see this for me as it pertains to false teachers. I have zero time for false teachers. And often while some cannot see it, I spend a large portion of my time looking for false teachers. So if I see it and you don't see it, it's not because I'm smarter than you. It's because I'm trying more than you. I have zero time for false teachers. And I will spend my time looking for them in order to warn you about them. So when I see it, you will hear it. And you will hear it specifically by name. So when I say kill, I mean that I will call out specifically and personally the people who I think could lead you astray and harm you Spiritually, I will not be reprimanded by anyone about that. You may want to tell me to be more gentle. You may want to tell me to be more patient or kind, but I will not listen. Because when a wolf is in the flock, I will pounce. I will kill. 
Just as I would not let a thief or a murderer in my house and say, okay, when you're done here, can you just walk out the front door like you came in? Can you just go back through that window that you came in? No, when you're, when you're in my house, I will lay down my life to protect my family. And I expect the other elders of this church to do the same. And as we stand up for you, as we stand up for the gospel, we will not be reprimanded when we do so. I will do whatever it takes to protect the unity and the bond of this church. Your souls have been given to my charge on this earth, to Blake's charge, to Stephen's charge. And you'll find out later, we will give an account for what happens to you on this earth. And I will not let under my watch, as often and as much as I can, I will not let someone come in here and try to do damage to the church. I will not let them out unscathed. I will never let someone come into this church that didn't fit our vision and our mission and take a lead role in this church. I would never let someone in to come into this church without dependence upon and a history of teaching the full counsel of God and come in and lead this church. The leaders of this church have set up strong barriers against this happening. So it really isn't a fear of mine, but I, thought, I just thought you should know. I also want you to know that your souls, while they are important, they are most important, they aren't the only things I'm willing to protect. I'm not saying what I'm about to say to look like a, uh, a cool guy or whatever. I'm saying this because you need to know it. I will lay down my life to protect yours. Now, I could be wrong in the way I'm about to say this, but I will have to take an account for that, and you can just be quiet. Don't, talk, don't come talk to me about it. I hold strongly to the Second Amendment and to self-defense. And if a time ever comes to where it's my life or yours, I would be willing to give my life for yours. And I know that I'm not the only one, based on that amen and more, I know I'm not the only one in this congregation that's willing to do so. As I see it, it is my responsibility to not only protect your soul, but to protect your life as much as possible in a defensive way. So I see it, there are all areas, these are all areas that make biblical and God-honoring elders. And if I'm wrong in my tactics and the length with which I will go, I will be judged for that. And you can just let uh, God do the judging on that, okay? The world is full of problems, friends. There's so many problems that arise for elders and for our body and many things that can go wrong. But I'm confident that we as leaders can overcome them and we in the church can overcome them together. Because we are a church that sticks to the full counsel of the word of God. We preach it and teach it, I believe, mostly in love and mostly for the right reasons. I can't say completely because I don't know every conversation that's ever gone on in this church. And I believe because of that, we will conquer sin, we will overcome it in our lives and help others overcome it in their own lives, and we will be a lighthouse of peace in a chaotic world. I just, just in case you didn't get it, by peace and love, I don't mean a place where, you know, we can all 
go to fluffy unicorn cloud playland. I mean a place where truth is spoken. Do you know the greatest deterrent to chaos? It's truth. It's truth. It's not to to satiate the appetite, if that's the right use of that word, maybe not, of, of those who are hungry for evil. It's not to fulfill every desire of someone who might walk into this body. But the way to break chaotic patterns is truthfulness. And so for that and by that, we will be peace in a chaotic world. I want to spend the last part of our time discussing those standards that Peter set for elders. And this is the second point of this two-part sermon. And, and, and it's this. God has commanded the way that elders should lead. God has commanded elders to lead the church. Number one, God has commanded the way elders should lead. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We discussed some of this last week, but the main task of the elder is to shepherd the flock and exercise oversight of the flock of God among him. And as we've already discussed last week, many people have lost their understanding of the importance of the local church. Yes, you can grow by reading your Bible. Yes, you can grow by listening to or watching sermons. And yes, you can grow by being friends with other Christians. But you cannot be in complete obedience to the word of God without being actively involved in the workings of the local bodies, local body of faithful believers. You can not only be fully obedient, uh, you can't be fully obedient until you are submitted to the authority of the elders of that local body. You don't have to agree with me uh, on, you don't have to agree with everything, me or everything the elders say uh, in this church. You don't have to love the way I see things, my perspective, or the way I always speak. But you have to submit to the leadership of this church as long as we are the leadership and as long as we are following the full counsel of God. As a means of making sure that happens, the elders of Vintage Church are weaponizing the congregation. You may not realize this, but we are weaponizing the congregation. We don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed, even though if we were trying to, in a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of power move, if we were trying to overtake the church and we were trying to domineer the church, we were trying to dominate the church, it would be smart for us to give you just enough to keep you coming back, but not so much that you get smarter than us. We don't want you to be ignorant or over uninformed. We want everybody in this body to be theologians who are like Bereans who question every morsel of, of information, every morsel of truth or supposed truth that is placed before them. Therefore, the health of the local body is dependent in some part on the knowledge and pursuit of truth of the body itself and not just the leaders. So what we do as elders is shepherd you to a point where your questions should make us a little uncomfortable, where it should stretch us or maybe even your question should make us say, we just don't know, but we can find out. 
I'm looking at you, Lisa Stillman, if you're watching this uh, sermon today. She's a good question asker. Keeps me on my toes. I pray if there comes a time where God takes me from this earth, because as far as I can tell, it's the only way I'm leaving this church, that you accept nothing less than the standard that has been set by the leaders of this church. Not that I think we're perfect, but I think we've set up a pretty good, pretty good barriers and pretty good walls to making sure that this church can go on long beyond Stephen and Blake and Bryce. The health of the local body is dependent upon your truth or your search and pursuit of truth. Not only because it's the way we grow, but it's the way we hold our leaders accountable. So what we do as elders is we shepherd you to a point where you seek truth, even if it makes us uncomfortable. I hope that the opinion you have of us is as good caretakers of God's riches. I want to say something else that I didn't point out last week, but I think is necessary. I pointed out, Peter said, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's God's flock. But you need to hear this. That is among you. That is among you. One of the reasons that I have not posted on social media as much or strong biblical statements is because Facebook is not my flock. While I still will do it as I see necessary, I'm saving the good stuff for you because you are the flock of God that is among me. Those that I pastor, I have to live among. Those that I pastor, I have to work with. A shepherd cannot live stream himself to his flock and tell them what to do. He cannot live stream, he cannot FaceTime his instructions to his sheep. He cannot do it without hanging out with and being in their lives. So I will say this. Multi-site church campuses are almost always out of design of God for the church. You cannot shepherd from another place people that you do not know and you do not see. I will say this. The mega church or super large church model is almost always out of the design for God's plan for the local body of Christ. You need to know this. As I want our church to grow, I, ne I really never want our church to be much bigger than it is right now. In the hundreds or the low 200s is all I think, this is, this is personal opinion based on my understanding of scripture, I think we should be at a place, I would like to be at a place, there's a sweet spot somewhere in the hundreds where we are Keeping and sending and keeping and sending and keeping and sending. So we maintain this certain level of people and we're also sending out and planning new works. I was told when I was, when I surrendered to ministry and many times after that one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten, Bryce, is 
Keep your people at arm's length. Now, while I think some of that is true, and I I know I've told many of you this before, while I think some of that is true that I can't tell you everything that's going on in my life, it wouldn't be good for me and it wouldn't be good for you. I do have people for that. But I can't tell you everything. While I think some of that is true, the idea of keeping the flock of God that is among you, that is arm, at arm's length, is not biblical, and it is no way to shepherd a people. You know what the shepherd did? He slept on the ground with the sheep when they were in the pasture. He was attentive to the sounds and the noises that were going on around. He was in charge of monitoring for wolves so that the sheep didn't have to. Elders who are not in deep fellowship with their congregation are not being obedient to the scriptures. I reject the notion that you can keep a congregation at arm's length and still obey the Lord. Now let's get to these commands. Specifically, how these elders fulfill their godly duty. Shepherd the flock of God among you, not under compulsion. One great challenge for, I think, every pastor is to do this job willingly. It isn't so much the day-to-day things like pastoring that's challenging, but it's the, the big life issues. It's difficult to shepherd willingly when you see Someone follow the same dark path over and over again. Someone who had so much promise and hope leave the body and and separate themselves from those who love them and who can bring them back to faith. It is difficult to shepherd willingly when you have to walk through hurting marriages and you feel completely incapable on certain issues in counseling others. It's difficult to shepherd willingly when someone is sick and likely to never be healed. It's, it's difficult to shepherd willingly when you preach a funeral or shepherd someone through death. Or like I confessed to you last week, when you feel the entire weight of the church on your shoulders, whether rightly or wrongly. It's no easy task to face these struggles and, and many more. But an under-shepherd must be willing to take the good with the bad. He must be willing to shepherd the defeats and the victories, the gains and the losses. Peter says, do not shepherd under compulsion, but willingly. Our love for the Lord and consequently our love for the church should cause elders to humbly and diligently serve the Lord in a willingful manner. He shares the joy and the grief of the flock, and he does so because he has committed to faithfully serve those flock that God has entrusted him with. One way this is easier is when the congregation knows and understands her role within the larger plan of God. I said it already, but I'm going to say it again because it's in my outline. As genuinely as I possibly can say this, for the vast majority of my tenure at this church, you have all made serving you a blessing. And the Bible lets us know that the congregation does have something to do with the willingness of the elders to serve. You've all made this a blessing. I like to think that we have grown up together, we have matured together. 
And for that, I'm grateful. You are my friends. You are my loved ones. And at the same time, you're my children that I cannot wait to brag on. When I think, the tasks, when I think of the tasks that some of my friends have ahead of them, it makes me sad a little bit for them, but makes me so grateful for us. God has chosen us. We have chosen this place. And that comes with great responsibility of the leaders and the church to honor him and follow him, to love him, to obey him, to work together to fulfilling our gospel calling. You've made it easy for me to willingly protect the flock that I have been entrusted with. I pray that that is a step for all of our elders. That all of our elders, willingly and not under compulsion, shepherd the flock of God that is among us. If an elder finds himself unable to serve willingly, he may and really must step away for a time or permanently. I've given, I didn't put this on the outline because I don't, these are just my thoughts. They're not necessarily objective truth, but I think there's a lot of truth in them. When must an elder step away? When he serves only because no one else will do it. That's under compulsion. And an elder must step back. When he serves only because no one else will do it. When he serves because his finances depend on it. When he serves only because his finances depend on it. An elder must step away. When he serves because he thinks it is the right thing to do. And not because it is God's calling. Not because it is his desire. Not because he is willing. He may need to step back or step away and figure things out. When he serves from any other primary motivation than the work of the gospel and love for the church. Now, our motivations will not always be strictly pure, obviously. But they need to be mostly pure. Peter says, do not serve under compulsion, but willingly. He goes on to say, shepherd the flock of God among you, not for shameful gain. An elder must never take a position out of greed. This should go without saying, and in many churches, that won't be a problem. But uh, the church is a place where greed could easily take over. Think about this. There is a correlation in the Bible where if you lay down your gifts before the Lord, he will bless you and those gifts with those gifts and even more. So there is a correlation where in the Bible, if you give money, if you give of your, the, the, your first fruits, if you give of what you've earned, that God will give it back to you. That is true, okay? That it's a health and wealth tactic, but it is also true. And... Uh, if you give to God and consider his money, your money, his money, and not yours, then he will bless you physically. That also is true. And then tell people that the best way to give is to support the local body of believers. All of which I believe is true. And then tell me that there wouldn't be a temptation for greed amongst elders. The truth in the wrong hands is the most dangerous form of truth. The Catholic Church has been making people financially pay 
for the forgiveness of their sins since their existence. False teachers have been convincing people that God's blessing is primarily monetarily and is dependent upon their work. And telling people the way they receive that blessing is to plant big seeds of financial faith. And even decent churches get caught up in the church growth race and they begin to equate big buildings that they can't pay for and programs that they can't staff as honoring the Lord. Men who have no discernible skills become pastors because it's a safe job and a paycheck. Can I tell you this is one reason that I'm highly convicted that we will not have full-time only staff at our church ever? Even if we had the money to pay every single pastor on our staff full-time wages, I would still expect them to have some sort of side job. For, for various reasons, but one would be to keep the temptation of greed away. I want to tell you what this verse is not saying. This verse is not saying that paying pastors is wrong. The word shameful actually indicates the opposite. Whereas, whereas there is a shameful gain for pastors... There is also a gain, financially, that is not shameful. The word shameful indicates that you should be paying pastors. But they should not be earning it in a shameful way. As a matter of fact, it was common, and even written about in the New Testament, but it was common in the apostolic church, the early church, where the apostles were still around and moving, to pay elders. As a matter of fact, it was a big deal for Paul to not take pay and to be a tent maker. He said, I could have taken pay from you. I earned it. In other places, we see that a, a worker is worth his wages as it pertains to leaders. Paying pastors was a very normal practice in the early church. It is when they are motivated by greed that shame that gain becomes shameful. <clears throat> this is also not saying that supporting your family with ministry money is wrong. Just like deacons being installed, the church pays elders so that they can focus on their primary mission. The deacons were installed so the elders can focus on their primary mission. Pastors get a paycheck so they can focus on their primary mission of preaching and teaching and leading and shepherding the flock of God that is among them. Supporting your family with ministry money is not wrong. Now, if you take a job as a leader of a church because... You were ousted from the last one or you didn't like the last one and you need to jump into the next paycheck quickly. That is shameful gain. I understand the temptation when your family is hungry and needy and you need a place to live and all that. I understand the temptation, but that is shameful gain. Supporting your family with ministry money is not wrong though. Another thing I think Peter is not saying here, giving to a church to pay pastors is wrong. He's not saying that. Elders are worthy of an honorarium, the Bible says. 
And in part, when you give to the church faithfully, you are showing your appreciation for the time and work that the elders put in. You are saying, I, con- I concur that what you're doing is the will of the Lord, and I want to be, I want the church to be in a position to where you can do that more freely and you can do that in a better way. This can be one of your primary pursuits. So we pay people. As a matter of fact, uh, the payment of our leaders is one of the largest portions of our budget, and I think it should be that way. I think it should be that way. If I weren't your pastor and I were sitting over there, I would think the same thing. Because the task of an elder in a church is not a light or easy task. And the primary reason we pay our pastors is so that they can spend time Instead of working 10 or 15 jobs, they can spend time working on what God has led them to do. Men who do so can elder for a paycheck, but they should do so in spite of the paycheck and do it with eagerness to serve God. I won't speak for myself, but I will speak for Stephen and Blake. And I will tell you that these men have worked diligently before they were paid. And they have worked diligently when they were, and I say this respectfully to our congregation and our leaders because we're the ones that sort of organize it, when they're underpaid. And I'm so thankful. I can tell you honestly that they shepherd not out of greed, not out of obligation, but as unto the Lord. Peter goes on. He said, shepherd the flock of God among you, not domineering, not for shameful gain, Excuse me, not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, and spoiler alert, not domineering. The word here for domineering is forceful rule, like a person bringing something into subjection by force. Peter says an elder should govern by example and not by force, intimidation, or even politically. If I have to go behind Blake and Stephen's back and get a contingent of church members to come follow me, then I'm not doing something in the will of the Lord. If they have to go by my, behind my back and get a contingent of church members to follow me, they are not doing something unto the Lord. Peter says an elder should govern by example and not force, not by intimidation and not politically. Elders are not in the chief position of the church. The chief position of the church belongs to God. And so elders are not dictators. Cults have dictators where people look at that person instead of the Lord. Many churches have idle pastors. And I don't mean just lazy pastors. I mean like little gods. The elders have authority in the church and are called to exercise oversight, but instead of of doing it from the high castle, they do it from the trenches. If we are talking about the retail industry, the elders are the department managers and not the district managers. He is not Lord and Master, but an example. And he leads others to the humble obedience by which he himself is already following. He is a leader, he is a servant, and most importantly, he is like Christ. He is like Christ. 
And because he is living like Christ, someone can look at that and automatically say, he's doing it, the Bible confirms it, and so should I. The easiest way to discern if your, your elder is living in the way he is living is to, he should be living is to know the Bible, to understand the Bible, to understand what the Bible calls elders to be, and then see that and do it yourself. See, the qualifications for an elder are meant for him, and they're meant for the church so that the church can know the minimum standard that leaders should follow. But I want to tell you the minimum standard that leaders should follow is also the standard that the congregation should follow. So when we look in Timothy and we look in Titus and we have these standards for elders, it's also the standard for the church. Because the elder is only following Christ. The elder is only following Christ. He's setting the standard for following Christ. And God in his word calls all to follow Christ. Not domineering. As we close, let's look at verse 4 again. As we see the result of this godly service. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know if you've considered this, but one day Blake, Stephen, and I, we will give Vintage Church directly to the Lord. And he will assess it. He will view it from all vantage points, from his omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient vantage point. And if it is found worthy, this is just for the elders, by the way. Now, there are crowns and there are rewards for others, but this conversation right here is just for the elders. If it is worthy, he will place upon the head of this church, the heads of this church, the victorious crown. As a reward for the work that we have done. This crown, this unfading crown, uh, it would have been an image that would have been understood in that time. If you remember, uh, a lot of countries have done this in the Olympics, but I think Greece did this specifically. They not only gave medals, but they gave a like leafy crown to the competitors. And... Oftentimes in Roman society, when, when uh, a soldier came back from war, when other leaders came back from fighting the wars and they were successful, this crown, whether it be a metal crown, you know, gold or, or silver or another metal, or whether it be a flower, a floral crown, would be placed on their head as a signif uh, to signify victory. This is a victorious crown. Blake and Stephen and other people who aspire to be elders, you need to understand that there is a great responsibility with your leadership. I think you do. I think you do. I know you do. And that we will all, we will give account for this church. We will have to place this church one day at the feet of the Lord. Now, you are, you are all responsible for yourself. But as leaders, we will be responsible for what we do with the measure that God has given us. 
And if he finds Vintage Church to have done well, he will place crowns. This is literally going to happen. He will place crowns on the head of the elders of the local body of Vintage Church. And because he has found us worthy and because we have understood the, the plan of God, we will then take the crown off and we will lay it at the feet of Jesus. Peter here is telling us when Christ returns, what we do with what God has given us will be judged. So we better be ready. When the boss comes back, if you haven't done well, you will receive what you have done. But if you've done well, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is not specifically talking about salvation because salvation is not found in our works. It's specifically talking about where those flowers, where those gold crowns, where those silver crowns would fade and destroy. The crown that Christ gives you for the work that you have done cannot. There is a great burden and responsibilities on the leaders of your church to honor the Lord, to follow Him, to do His will. I want to say this, um, and I want you to be looking for this, but uh, over the next little while, uh, we have been placing more responsibility on Tony. And the reason is, is because Tony feels a calling to lead, a calling to, to elder. And I know that you know this because we're a small church and they've made it abundantly clear. But one day, he doesn't have to. If he wants to, he can stay here as an elder of this church. But one day, Tony, if he continues down the path that he is and he meets a, continues meeting the qualifications of an elder, he will be made an elder of this church not, not too long from now. And in the hopes that we either send them out to elder another church or they keep serving here in that capacity. But you will see him today and last time. Today he has done uh, the entire evangelism thing by himself. So if it stinks, it's on him. I'm just kidding. He's He's done the entire evangelism thing himself. And he did the last one primarily. And uh, even though it may seem sort of remedial to some, he's done the announcements on Sunday morning to start off the service. And honestly, I, I don't know if you feel the same way. I think you should. If you don't, he has done an excellent job of setting up and getting us in here and gathered in and setting up the church service. And so um, I wanted to tell you that because I want you to be looking at Tony and examining his life. And I want you to know that every time... And it hasn't been often. But every time there has been a disagreement between Tony's ideology and the church's, it hasn't been often. He has submitted to the leadership and authority of the church. And to me, that is, um, other than what I know about him, that has been one of the most prevailing reasons as to why I think he's going to make an excellent elder and leader in a local body or um, as a primary leader of a local body. And so I wanted you to know that. 
It wasn't just without reason. Uh, we, don't, we weren't just trying to hand off a, another task to somebody. We, are, we see it in him. Uh, we believe it in him. And if not at our church uh, for a long term, uh, somewhere else. So I uh, just wanted you to know that. That was an, a weird way to end the service, but I'm going to do it and we're going to pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for uh, the leaders of this church. Lord, thank you for our willingness to serve this church, to serve you, help us to do it, not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, not in a domineering fashion, but in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for giving us the strength to live for you. Help us to all pursue you more every day and to live like Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.